Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you tuned in. I mean, if we were to go back in a time machine and see Jesus walking the shores of Galilee, would you pick him? Would you be able to spot him? Do you have a heart after God's own heart? Jeremiah was speaking to the Israelites because they'd lost their way. They appeared to be religious, but were not truly penitent before God. We join Dr. Corbett now for a further look at Jeremiah and having a heart after God. All right, got your Bibles. Please turn to the book of Jeremiah. We'll just do a really quick preview of Jeremiah. He is the second of the major prophets in the Bible. The major prophets are designated major because of the size of their books, the length of their book. The first major prophet, the preeminent prophet is Isaiah. And Jeremiah is considered the second major prophet and Ezekiel is considered the third major prophet. And depending on how you count, or there's some debate as to whether we, we class Daniel as a major or a minor prophet. So we're looking at Jeremiah. And one of the reasons if you, we, I think this is particularly important for us is you may recall that when Jesus asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am? One of the first responses that that Jesus got was this. Some say, you are Jeremiah. So here's the question. What was it about Jeremiah that was like Christ? Most of us here follow Christ. And if you don't, by the end of this presentation, I want to give you good reason to consider and accept the challenge to follow Jesus Christ, to make him the preeminent treasure of your life. And because that's my goal, I want to talk to you as if I'm going to assume you will accept that challenge. And therefore, in that context, I I pose this question. What is it about Jesus that we should treasure? And to treasure Jesus looks like what? What does it look like to treasure Jesus? There's something we're going to see in Jeremiah that the Bible says Jesus demonstrated. The last couple of weeks I've heard people confronted with what I consider to be the the truth of the Bible say something like this, oh, I can't accept that. And and the same sentiment is, is worded this way, oh, I can't believe God would be like that. So here's what I want to sort of say as we look at this and perhaps are shocked at what we see both in the life of Jeremiah and in the life of of God and therefore Jesus Christ is sometimes we we approach Jesus with preconceived ideas ideas that that colour the way we look at the text and when we're confronted with what the Bible actually says, we have a lot of difficulty accepting what the Bible says. I mean, if we were to go back in a time machine and see Jesus walking the shores of Galilee, would you pick him? Would you be able to spot him? Apart from the adoring crowds following him, you may well get to that point and go, which one is he? Isaiah the prophet, the first major prophet, said this in Isaiah 53. There was nothing outstanding about him. There was nothing about him that would make you look twice. The old English King James language goes like this. 
He had no form or comeliness, which is a way of saying he didn't have the halo, he didn't have the hair-straightened, jet-black, parted perfectly in the middle hair with the bright blue eyes and the finely manicured beard. And I know that's how the movies present him. And you can spot him easy. He's the guy with the blue eyes and the dark hair. He's kind of glowing. But in real life, he wouldn't have looked like that. You remember when the, the temple guards came in Gethsemane to get Jesus? Remember their problem? What was their problem? They didn't know who he was. They didn't know which one he was. What did they have to do? What did they have to pay Judas to do? Kiss him, identify. This is the one. Why is that? Because I think we we approach the New Testament and we read about Jesus and we have this concept that he's magnificently beautiful in appearance and, and I'm not suggesting he was other, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the New Testament makes no, absolutely no reference to how he physically appeared. No reference. It, it mentions he had a beard. It doesn't mention how long his hair was. We don't know. It doesn't mention the colour of his eyes and presumably the colour of his skin would have been quite a shock to most of us. Probably a lot darker than most of us appreciate. So what is it about Jeremiah that was like Jesus? We're confronted in Jeremiah chapter 1 that, that Jeremiah had the, the amazing opportunity to, to prophesy during the reign of at least three kings. More information than probably you need right now is to know that when you read First and Second Kings, the history of the kings of Israel, it was actually written by Jeremiah. And I was reading through Second Kings this week and just reading the, the closing chapters and, and, and I... And, and knowing that Jeremiah wrote it, you read the closing chapters of Second Kings and you go, yeah, that sounds like Jeremiah. And it sounds like Jeremiah because if you read the closing chapters of Second Kings, you read the, the writer saying, God's heart was broken. God was so grieved and so saddened by the spiritual condition of the people that God just gave them over. Yeah, that sounds like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the one who felt God's heart. He was the one who is described as the weeping prophet, the prophet who wept. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, we read how he ministered in the opening verses there to to at least three kings. and, And then it talks about how he was called from a very young age. And then we read how he began to hear the word of the Lord, how he'd gone from seeing the word of the Lord to hearing the word of the Lord. He was growing in his own understanding of God. In chapter 2, as a very young man, perhaps 18, 19 years of age, God began to speak through him to the nations. And his message was one of, of incredible affection. That is, Jeremiah spoke about God being like a husband, a lover, and not a lover in the Hollywood one-night stand sense, but a lover in the, the purest sense of the word of a gentleman, a man who deeply loves the one he's committed to. 
And he speaks of the one he has committed to Israel as being someone who had not returned the favour. In fact, we're going to read in chapter 3 in just a moment that she had given, and the English Standard Version uses this expression, her favours to others. A very delicate way of saying they'd been completely unfaithful to God. So now we come to chapter 3. We're going to start around about verse 6. And as we do, I want to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And perhaps if you're here today and you, you don't know whether any of this is true or real, you don't know whether the Bible really is God's word or whether there even is a God, then I just invite you to pray this prayer that God will always say yes to. Let's pray. Lord God, show me who you are. Help me to understand the truth. As we look at your word right now, confirm it in my heart. Show me what I need to know and how I need to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we're looking particularly at this section in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 from around about verse 6. We're now going back in time a little bit and we're at the reign of King Josiah. Now, if you know anything about the reign of King Josiah, you know this, that Josiah was one of the rare good kings. He was someone who brought in great reform. He brought in a spiritual, the word is revival to Israel. Notice that. In the midst of revival, we're going to see that God says, even in the midst of that, the heart of the people was far away from God. Now, I want you to also notice this. This section starts off in verse 6, about Josiah. Josiah was the king, the king of Judah. The king was called to be, very powerful word, here comes the word, the shepherd of Israel. The shepherd of Israel. Now, in a biblical sense... Shepherds behave a little bit differently than Australian shepherds. Australian shepherds herd their sheep from behind and they use those really nasty, wicked whistles they can do with their mouth, you know, those sorts of things, which I can't do. And they use dogs. And that's how Australian shepherds Move their sheep, but not in the biblical sense. In the biblical sense, the shepherd wasn't back there driving the sheep. The shepherd was in front leading the sheep. And Jesus speaks about this in John chapter 10. Now, Josiah was called to be a shepherd. And, and, and partway through this, as we get to the end, I'm going to challenge every mature believer here to consider surrendering your life to become a shepherd in the service of God. Now, Josiah was called to be that, and yet the people still really didn't give over their hearts to God. And that, I could really look at this and labour this, but I, I, I don't want to at this point, but I just want you to notice this. So now we're going to go down to verse 15, and this is what I want to look at. I will give you shepherds. See that in verse 15? And I will give you shepherds. So this is, I think, one of the, the, the key parts of this, this text. We're going from verse 6 all the way down to um, verse 
25 of chapter 3, but I want to labour this point. I will give you shepherds. It's the heart of God to have shepherds influencing people for him. We all need a shepherd. We all need a shepherd. Now, I'm called the pastor of this church, but there'll be other people in this church who God will use as shepherds. There'll be people in this church who God will use as your shepherd. Now, to a, to a degree, I hope that as you begin to and continue to pray for me as the pastor of this church, I can bring a shepherding aspect to the whole church. But there'll be people in this church, home group leaders, friends you develop relationships with, who'll be able to shepherd you. And God knows for us to grow as a church, which is the will of God, we are going to need people in this church who will be shepherds to other people. God says, in the midst of all that Jeremiah is heartbroken over, the problem here is you don't have shepherds. I will give you shepherds. So we're going to have a look at this and see if we can appreciate what we're seeing here. So we've seen that even in the days of Josiah, one who had a heart that was after God, the people's hearts went after him. And if you know how Josiah died, we reveal, it reveals he died way too young because something entered into his heart that wasn't right. Pride entered into his heart and he died way too young. And it's a very interesting thing that a spiritual leader has a powerful impact upon those they lead. Now here, leading up to God giving people shepherds, come back with me a few verses, back to verse 13. Only acknowledge your guilt. The heart cry of God And as we look at this, I hope we're going to see that God wanted the people to acknowledge that they needed God, to acknowledge that they needed his forgiveness. This is what Jeremiah is going to talk about for the next 20 or so chapters. And we're going to come to chapter 23, and we're going to read Jeremiah again saying, I will give you shepherds. And he says it this way, woe unto the shepherds you've already got. See, what was going on with the shepherds that they had, the kings of Judah and Israel at this point? Well, they were pandering to the people. They were giving the people what they wanted. They were letting the people do whatever they wanted. Now, any parent will tell you that if you parent that way with your children, you're going to end up with parenting problems as well as children problems. The parent who goes down the lolly aisle with their two, three, four, five, six-year-old child, firstly, is very brave, and secondly, has to be prepared to be strong while they get their reasonable parent parental supply of chocolates and whatever. <laughs> the child may <laughs> place similar demands, which if, if as leaders you just give people what they want, you're going to end up with with a situation that's beyond your control. Remember what Samuel said to King Saul 
when King Saul was uh, leading Israel as the king, Samuel comes along and says, what on earth is going on here? And it's just bedlam. There's noise and there's sheep bleeding and there's the enemy is actually being entertained in the camp. And Samuel says, what are you doing? And Saul's response was this, the people made me do it. That is what we call bad leadership. And any parent who says, my children made me do it, is in a similar vein. So the type of shepherds God's people had had up until this point were shepherds who weren't diligent to teach the people the word, who weren't diligent to correct them in the word, who hadn't taken the law and shown them this is where you've missed it and this is where you need to reapply yourself. They hadn't done that. And now notice what we, we, we now come back down to verse 15. I want you to see this is the type of shepherd that God wanted Israel to have. It says this, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Please pray for me that I can do that. Look, there's lots of things pastors can do, but if we don't do that, we're not shepherding the church of God. There's lots of things you can do as a parent to your children, but if you're not doing that, you're not doing it very well. We, We need our children to be taught how to know and understand God. We need this in a church. What is it that we need to know and understand? Jeremiah is going to go on and he, he's, he's, he's just staggered that these people don't consider they've done anything wrong. Just staggered. They, they are still going to the temple. The priest is still going in and pouring blood over this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. We haven't got it anymore. Indiana Jones lost it. But when we did have it, this was happening back then and and the people said, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? We, we go to the temple, we, we pay our tithes, we, we do religious things, we, we, we sacrifice and we partake of the festivals. And Jeremiah says, acknowledge your guilt. And the people are going, what are you talking about, acknowledge our guilt? And it kind of reminds me of a story Jesus told. Because in Luke 18, Jesus is having a similar conversation with the then spiritual leaders of his day. And he's saying to these guys, acknowledge your guilt. And the Pharisees are going, what guilt? What are you talking about, guilt? So in in Luke 18, there's this story of two men. And Jesus puts it like this. Jesus told a story. In fact, if you've got Luke 18, you might just want to turn to this and and have a look. It's it's found in verse, if we start at verse 9 and 10. He he told them this parable to show, uh, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. This is what Jeremiah's audience were doing. They were trusting in themselves. And this is, what he, this is how he put it. And if you get this, you'll die well. And I mean that quite literally. You'll die well. Because if you can die in the full confidence of knowing that it's not about you, it's about Jesus Christ, 
you'll die well. This is what Jesus said. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, arrogance, pride. I'm better than you. God help us, church, if that's our attitude. As Christians, we don't think we're better than anyone else. We've just come to realise we're not. And we're allowing Christ to do something about it. So, this is the verse, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Golly. There's something of the new covenant in me right now that says if I was there, I would have hit him. But anyway, was that an amen? Verse 12, I fast twice a week. What a religious prat. I give tithes of all that I get, verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Question, have you humbled yourself? Apparently, no one chokes to death if they swallow their pride. And Jesus is saying, like Jeremiah was saying, acknowledge your guilt. Acknowledge that you have let God down, you have failed God, and you need his forgiveness. Acknowledge that. If you acknowledge that, you can be made right, Jesus said. So here's the question. How are you made righteous before God? Do you think about that? Do you think, if I die right now, Would I go to heaven or would I miss out on heaven for eternity? You see, sometimes we think how, this is where I've introduced it, some people say, I can't believe that a loving God would send anyone to hell for eternity. You may not believe that if you shove a fork in a live PowerPoint, you won't get electrocuted. But you will. Just because you can't believe it doesn't change the fact. Now here's here's the point. When people sin against an eternal God, and the greatest sin we can commit is this, I'm going to be God instead of you. That's what every act of sin does. It doesn't matter if you do it for a nanosecond or a lifetime. That's irrelevant. It's the act. You're not worthy to be God. I am. That is a sin of cosmic proportions. That is what we call a sin against the eternal God. Now think about this. A sin against the eternal God demands what kind of punishment? Eternal punishment. Now if you've never thought about that, 
I hope you take some time to think about that, that we need, in order to spend eternity in heaven with God, we, we need to get this matter settled. We've all done this, by the way. Every time we sin, when Adam took that fruit in the Garden of Eden, he was saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know better than you. God seems to be deeply offended with that kind of behaviour. So, how are you made righteous before God? I could ask you a trick question. And as we come back with me to Jeremiah chapter 3, just for a moment, we read that even when Jeremiah was presenting this truth to the people where he said, look, I'm going to, one day I'm going to give you new shepherds. And the implication is that God's going to do something in people's hearts. And he goes on in chapters 31 and 33 and says, one day the new covenant's coming and everything's going to be made new. I'm going to do something in people's hearts and everyone's going to be born again who receives the gift of forgiveness. And so... How are you made righteous before God? In Romans chapter 5, if we, if we had the time, we, we'd look at it there, and I would encourage you to look at this in your own time. But in Romans chapter 5, Paul bewilderingly says, now by the way, Paul was someone like that Pharisee in that temple. And, and, and just as another, by the way, Luke 18 finishes up and Luke 19 begins where Jesus goes into Jericho and he, on his way through Jericho, he meets a tax collector named Zacchaeus. be very interesting if Jesus was prophesying or giving a kind of a word of knowledge here about the heart condition of people. Romans chapter 5, Paul the Apostle says, The only way you can be made right with God is if you give your heart to Jesus Christ. And rather than stand before God with your heart, you stand before God in Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, that you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. This was the message that Jeremiah was forecasting, Paul was explaining, Jesus was trying to get across to people and when Jesus died on the cross, he took all the penalty of all our guilt, all our shame, all our mistakes, all our wrongdoing, all of it, And instead of us receiving what we deserve, that's called justice. The last thing you want to do is stand before God and demand justice. Jesus said, Father, give me the sins of these people and I will take their punishment. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. That's why Jesus was slaughtered. Not just died, he was slaughtered. And as Jesus was slaughtered on the cross and he rose again from the dead, as we've been singing this morning, we can now give him our hearts and we can stand before God, not because of anything we've done, but because everything he's done. 
And that's why you don't have to do anything to be made right with God. Christianity is not spelt D-O. Christianity is spelt, how's it spelt? D-O-N-E. It's all been done for you. And whenever we do anything good, it's not to earn our salvation. We do something good because we've been given salvation. We must not confuse the fruit for the root. The root is Jesus. The fruit is what we do for him. So here's the question. Does your heart belong to God? Have you given your heart to God? Your heart, the very core, the very soul of your being. Have you given it to God? Here's another question for you. Perhaps you have. Perhaps you're trusting in Jesus. Don't be lukewarm about it. Don't be nominal. Don't be complacent about it. Don't make church a... That's, oh gee, that's inconvenient. Make God the centre of your being. Make, make church an expression of love and worship back to this God that has saved your soul. And has God, here's the next question, has God given you his heart? I asked the first question before, have you given your heart to him? Here's the next question. Have you opened up your heart to allow him to give you his heart? We saw on the video news just what an incredible heart Stefan has for India. <laughs> Bit of code happening here with the hums. Uh, anyway, has God, has God touched your heart? Do you feel compassion for people? Do you feel, do you feel that if, 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 these, if these people in northern India don't hear the gospel, they'll be lost for eternity? Does that weigh on you? This is what the message of the New Testament says as we read in Romans chapter 5. It says God's grace and God's forgiveness is available to all who accept it, who receive it. It's not automatic. Has God given you a heart after his heart? And here's the next question to those of you who have been serving the Lord. We're on a recruitment drive right now. We need shepherds. We need leaders. We need people who know how to shepherd others. And here's my question. Will you be a shepherd after God's heart? This is what we read God doing. Jeremiah prophesies it. This is what God's going to do. I will give you shepherds. And he's talking of the new covenant. He has made us all a kingdom of priests to him. God wants you who are mature to be a shepherd. Maybe it means one or two others you shepherd. Maybe it means... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe it means 20, 30, 40. Maybe one day God will send you to be the pastor of a church. But in the meantime, right now, you prepare to open up your heart. God, I've given you my heart. Now give me yours. And God, help me to be a shepherd after your heart. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now for those who have never surrendered their heart to Jesus, never given their heart to Jesus. Lord, who have had the misconception that being a Christian is a matter of what you do. And now, Lord, I pray that we'll smash that out of the ballpark and that, Lord, they'll begin to understand being a Christian is a matter of who you trust. That if you're trusting in yourself, you're not a Christian. If you're trusting in Jesus, that he's done it all for you. You can be born again. You can have a brand new start in life. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now, a prayer that says, Jesus, come into my heart 
forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. You pray that prayer and your life can be different, not only today, but for all eternity. And perhaps you're here today and you've been kind of just doing the minimum. You've given your heart to God, but you haven't allowed God to give his heart to you. Will you open up your heart to God? Allow God to have his way in your life. There's one prayer God will always say yes to, and that's God help me to please you. Will you show me how to please you? Will you show me how to live more fully for you? God will always answer yes to that prayer. And perhaps there are those, and maybe there's just a few, God is calling you to step up, step up in your Bible reading, step up in your prayer life, step up in your church attendance, step up in the use of your gifts, step up and become a shepherd. And Father, I pray for those that your hand will be upon them to raise them up and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, for those who are here today and they're battling, they have areas of needs, areas of challenge, I pray, Lord, right now that you, the great shepherd, will minister your grace to everyone here today that they may receive and experience strength to get through the difficulties they're facing right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Having a heart after God. With our penitence come shepherding from God. Where's your focus? Where's your heart? Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 8, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.